0: Hello, and welcome back to The Train Happy Podcast. Now, we took a bit of an unintended break there, so um, there's been a load of stuff going on for me, kind of personally and professionally, and I also think at the moment with the conversation around Black Lives Matter, I think um, there was a period where um, we all needed time for self-reflection and work, um, but we're back this week, and we're back with someone who I have followed on social media for a long time and um, really appreciate the work they do. And that is Lauren Lavelle. She is a fitness trainer and bar instructor based in Philadelphia in the USA. And we discussed a whole range of stuff, um, particularly around trusting our bodies through fitness and how we do that personally and professionally through our work as trainers, but also we discussed how diet culture impacts our work towards social justice and dismantling uh, racism. So I need to make a quick apology um, in advance, just to say that my audio in this um, isn't fantastic because I, ended up um, being recorded on the microphone on my headphones instead of the usual podcast mic I recorded. However, I didn't want to scrap this episode. I really think it's an important conversation and so please um, bear with me this week and I promise we'll be back to usual standards next week. If you do enjoy this week's episode, please be sure to tag us on Instagram at trainhappypodcast. Use the hashtag trainhappypodcast and without further ado, let's get into it. So, today we are chatting with Lauren Lavelle, who, prior to me hitting record, we've just discussed, has the best name ever. Um, I feel like it's such a strong name. You should be a movie star, Lauren. I think it's it's in the stars for you. you. Um, And, you know, I have followed Lauren uh, for a while now on social media, and I really resonate with her perspective on fitness, Um, and I'm so excited to have this chat. So, Lauren, I want you to introduce yourself, just let people know what exactly you do. And um, yeah, just a little bit about yourself.
1: Oh, a pitch. All right. Um, my name is Lauren Lavelle, as you said. Yes, that's the, that's the real deal, the birth name. Um, and I am a body positive, fat positive fitness instructor who I teach group fitness and personal training. And I focus on really intuitive and client-led training, and I also, you know, I'm on Instagram a little bit.
0: You are, and everyone's going to go follow you after this episode anyway. I'm going to make sure of it. Um, but you specialize in bar, is that right?
1: Yes, I am a bar instructor, so B-A-R-R-E, uh, not bar. I say bar so often, and people get really excited for me to do drink things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like very disappointed it's an exercise.
0: <laughs> I love, I love that. And how have you, how are you right now? I know it's been such a, I mean, just this year is a roller coaster. And then in particular right now, I just feel things are even more intensified and just want to know how you are and, um, yeah, how you're looking after yourself.
1: I am um, changing every day. And I think that that's kind of like the theme of 2020 in general. Uh, I have been letting myself have a lot of feelings, both joyful feelings when they arrive and really sad and anxious ones. Yesterday was like, you know, yesterday was definitely a combo of that. I found myself lying on the floor, just like with my hands on my chest, trying to take some deep breaths. And my cat came up and was comforting me and you know, my partner came over and like, you know, do you want some water? Do you want me to run to the, you know, trying to be helpful, but sometimes you just need to like ground yourself and feel a little bit sorry for yourself. Um, So that's a little bit of how I've been doing. And then as far as like, you know, being a black woman in America, just, just going through the motions.
0: Yeah. And you know, I think, I, I think everyone, you know, so this podcast is coming out, we've had a brief hiatus, um through this kind of time so I think um yeah it's been a really intense time on social media I think like it's just been intense and I think that's the only one I can use to describe it because I think you know me as a white person it's been a lot of education and a lot of listening and it's been challenging you know I'll be honest it's been you know it's you think you know stuff and then you'll you know you can always be challenged and I think that's really important um and I think um yeah there's just been and I think rightfully so there's been a spotlight put on uh black women in particular I don't know about you but my feed is full of black women which I think is really important and I think um you know, when I've been discussing this with other fitness professionals and things like that, um, particularly in the UK, the, there's a real lack of diversity in general in fitness. And, um, you know, that is something that, you know, I have wanted to, you know, help change, but, you know, I've got, got to recognize my place in the system. And, you know, it's been. Um, yeah, it's been challenging, but I also see. And I, what I love about social media is it does connect us with like incredible fitness professionals all over the world. Um, I really want to come to the US and like, there's so many people I want to meet because I'm like, there's so many great people. Maybe and, we um, can
1: come to you. I don't know. It might be better uh, if we come to you.
0: Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if, yeah, the grass may look greener, but it's not that great. Let's here all like, just meet somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to Bora Bora. Let's just go yes. to Bora Bora. Yeah. And I feel like um, it's been a really great opportunity to, like I said, just to like, um, even though, you know, I've followed a lot of people for a long time, but just to see people really be amplified and given the space that they deserve has just been really cool. So, um, yeah, it's really great to. Kick, you know reconnect and get back on with the podcast with you because like i said've been a fan for a long time, and you know this is great, so I thought it would be great to start with kind of a bit of a backstory with your own fitness journey? Because I know you shared online, um, you know, it hasn't always been easy. So I just wanted to know what your relationship with fitness was like growing up.
1: Yeah, um, I I was laughing just even trying to really conjure up those feelings. I grew up in Southern California. So the weather is always warm. Uh, I was like a barefoot child for most of my life, you know. Uh, And I didn't ever participate in any like organized sports. I have like a single mom and my grandparents were helping, but it was just, you know, that wasn't like really in the cards for us, both because like I never really showed a deep interest in organized sports and, um, and because my mom was trying to juggle a bunch of other things, but I like, I know that my body image definitely got in the way, even as a small child of me participating in sports activities and all of that. So, moving on to like when I started working out in an actual gym, it was it was overwhelming. Like I was 18 years old when I started going to the gym at night with a friend. Um we would go in the hours where there was like the least amount of people and we would just like do things that we thought were like exercises which were super intuitive and really awesome looking back on it. But like we didn't really have anyone guiding us we kind of like were those people there's there's a scene in bridesmaids at the beginning when they're just watching the boot camp from like far away um i rewatched bridesmaids during this time but um <laughs> and that was like that was us we were just kind of like they look like they know what they're doing um and slowly but surely came into the world of fitness and maybe not always from the healthiest perspective but here we are many years later almost 10 years later.
0: Do you find it really interesting when people, because I have a very similar journey, didn't get into exercise until I was literally about 18 as well. And when I see people from um, school, they're kind of like, oh, you know, if I say I work in fitness, you know, <laughs> I would have thought, wow, that was like the last person I expected. <laughs> to I asked my fitness. friend that. Yes,
1: I have a friend from a uh, I think we met when we were fourteen, and she attended my virtual bar class the other day. And I messaged her the other day and said, "Like, hey, is it weird to think that, like, of all the people we knew, it's me?" She's like, "I mean, it's 2020. There's weirder things happening." I'm like, you're right. You're right.
0: This is a jump in the ocean.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> totally not the weirdest thing that's happened this week, for sure.
0: Yeah, you kind of mentioned and about like when you first started fitness and I don't know if it was the same for you, but I went into fitness, A, copying what I saw other people do in the gym, but B, also thinking that fitness is what people did to lose weight, to change what they look like. And that was the only reason why people did it. And so that's what I had to do to be good at it, to be successful, to, um, yeah, to be doing it quote, right. And um, I just wondered if that was a similar experience for you.
1: Absolutely. The workouts that I was doing 18, 19, 20. I mean, I think about them often because sometimes I'm like, damn, where did you get the stamina? Especially with what you were feeding yourself and how you were living the other like hours outside of the gym. But um, yeah, the workouts that we did were very punishing, very gr- they were they were joyful in a sense that i was with a friend but they were not from a place of joy and from a place of love they were definitely like get your summer body you know all those like they were they were a pitch they were an ad for diet culture so that's why i was at the gym definitely
0: and i think so many people listening relate to that because that is you know i think until well, I don't know maybe because it's become my awareness you know in the last five years say but until then like I literally if I go to any you know read fitness magazines look on blogs go on Instagram and if I just search hashtag fitspo that's what I would think fitness was I would think you know it is like grueling workouts it's got to be intense you have to be doing hit, you know every day and all this kind of stuff because um, it's all about getting the results and you know I always say results is code for diet culture code for weight loss fat loss yes. you know manipulation and like it's you know sneaky language but that's what the implication is it's always about shrinking yourself in some way shape or form um, or maybe growing certain body parts kind of thing yes
1: but the aesthetics you know the aesthetics. the
0: aesthetics exactly so yeah I think um I wondered how you discovered the kind of non-diet culture space, the anti-diet message. I mean, I don't. When you first discovered diet culture, I mean, I remember discovering it, wanting to kind of write about it on social media, and it felt like like a really controversial topic. It felt like it felt so different. It felt like going so against the grain. Um, I don't know if that's how it felt for you.
1: I have this very, um, interesting transition into the body positive and, um, diet culture, anti-diet like phase that I'm in now in that I, I kind of just like gently moved into this space. And I don't know how I shed those layers over time. I know that like the true weight of adulthood, you know, graduating from, graduating from university, like having to get a real job, all those things put the diet and exercise kind of into perspective. I thought to myself, like, you need to focus your energy elsewhere. And so those things that have been occupying so much space in your mind, they can't occupy that space anymore. You have to do something else. So slowly, I just was like, okay, well, you know, taking time away from the meal preps and the grueling workouts and the very regimented routine that I created when I had the flexibility in my schedule, because I was just a student, right? Um, then you get an, a job where you're in an office, like we talked about before we started, but like we're in an office for eight hours. And so when, you know, when is it that you're, am I doing push-ups at my desk? Like, I know some people do, <laughs> I know some people do, but like, I wasn't, um, and so that was part of my, my journey out of that mindset. And then it was aided by the fact that I found myself in this community with so many amazing and beautiful and responsible humans who were kind of encouraging me to come on the other side of that and just be like questioning, questioning all those things that we talk about in diet culture. Like, why are we you know, worried about eating a piece of cake or a donut, like, why? Why? Just keep asking you why, and then you're like, I don't know why, that does seem like a waste of time. And then, of course, with social media, changing who I was following, changing who I was interacting with, or seeing people in all types of bodies being beautiful, healthy, happy, excited, all those things really changed my perspective.
0: And did you find... Like finding a community on social media has been that transitional education from like that kind of like one set way of thinking to kind of maybe just even initially just being more open-minded to thinking like, oh, there might be another way to do this. Like maybe I don't have to beat myself up every time I go to the gym. You know, maybe I don't have to like you know feel guilty about eating food.
1: Absolutely. I I think social media was great for that. It was great for um the education aspect, even though the thing about everything is like, you know, it's the tip of the iceberg. Like the education that you're gonna get on social media can be wonderful, great, amazing education. But if you don't pursue that further, maybe all you have is a social media education. Like I don't think we can learn neuroscience from following like a neuroscience Instagram. Like I think we would need to do more. But I, I definitely was one of those people who was using body positivity while I was still pursuing changing my body and like not really getting how and where those things met. So I needed further education outside of my Instagram circle to really get a grip on what that meant, how that movement really worked, what fat positivity meant, what, what it meant to be weight neutral, all those things. I needed to look a little bit outside of Instagram, but as far as creating my first initial baby community, yes, it was amazing.
0: And I'd be, I think some people were listening, like might not even know what some of those terms mean. So I would really love to know like, because my previous episode to this was a discussion around thin privilege and body positivity. And um, so if you haven't listened to that episode, I really suggest listening to that episode because I think we're gonna touch on it here. Um, I would love to know what body positivity means to you, you know, and, and how you saw it when you first discovered it and what that was, what, you know, what it was then versus how it is your understanding of what the movement is now.
1: Yeah. I think that uh, a lot of times like body positivity with positive body image. So, um, and I know that that's like a thing, you know, there's a lot of literature out there on that, which positive body image would just be, I look. And so my body positive when I was still in the midst of trying to change my body and disordered eating and all of that was really like, well, yeah, I like the way I look right now. And also, and also like, and also I'm still this improved aesthetic. And I think that when we look at the roots of body positivity, which really come from fat positivity, which is more like fat acceptance, deliberation, bodies of all shapes, sizes, genders being accepted and being respected societally, that's much different than just saying like, I like me. Like it's so much bigger than just me. It's, It's for everyone, it's for, someone's ability to be hired it's for someone's ability to have access to health care all the way from fertility treatment to basic needs being met by our healthcare system it's it's about respect and everyone's body being seen as viable and as human at this point so I think that um there's definitely been a transition from my I mean I, you can have both. You can have I like me and I also want to uphold and help others have access to the systems that I have access to. But um, I just think it's so, so much bigger than that little hashtag and a very cute picture of yourself.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I get called a body positive trainer all the time and I'm very careful. I've never ever labeled myself a body positive trainer. I'm very aware of my like place within that and I support body positivity, you know, I um but I you know, conscious of like not taking up space in something that, you know, wasn't designed for me, you know, wasn't founded by people who look like me. And I think um it's really important I think to clarify that point of um and I think where people do just automatically say she's a body positive trainer is because we do just think it is about feeling positive about your body and you know and I don't think that's I don't think if you initially come to this and you think that like that's anyone's fault I think that's the narrative that's been driven in you know articles and social media and it's you know if you're looking at it on a surface level it so looks like that's what it is like it's but I think as much as Um, a part of it can be for individuals, like embracing their body, accepting themselves. It is also about accepting others and uplifting other people and making sure that everyone gets that equal treatment, equal respect, um, aspect. And yeah, I think kind of understanding the difference, um, is challenging. And it's really interesting. There's so much conversation right now about privilege in general. And I find it really interesting because I really think it does all the different privileges we hold. And like, you know, there's times where we can feel defensive about those privileges. It's really interesting how, you know, people saying all lives matter. Well, and then people saying in body positivity, all bodies matter. And I think there's very um, similar pushback in a sense, to these things when we're kind of discussing that, that privilege. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's really important, like you said, just to, just to clarify it. And, and, you know, we want people to feel good about themselves, though. We want people to say, "Yeah, absolutely. I like myself. Because um, I'm, I'm also of the mindset and I think you encapsulated this brilliantly within a post that you shared online. So we'll discuss it, but I do think that when you start to accept yourself and when you have done that work on yourself, um, it it is a a big stepping stone in helping you to be aware of what's going on for other people. And a lot of that healing and that work on, you know, accepting who you are and enjoying those things, I think has to be done in a sense of, um, to be like, to listen to other people and to, to be, you know, open to hearing people's stories and experiences and, and being open to that. Um, so you posted a quote recently and you said, um, well, it's your quote. (laughs) Diet culture is a stumbling block for social justice. It is hard to do this work if you're solely focused on tricking yourself. So I want to know your, the thought process behind that, um, Tweet and yeah, kind of what that how how that's really applied for you.
1: Yeah, I that tweet was inspired by a conversation that I was having with my dear friend Asher of Non Normative Body Club. Um, Asher is one of the kindest and most inspiring people I know and come into contact with, they are located in Philly, but they just have this way about them of creating a space for other people to really come into themselves, I believe. Uh, So I was having a conversation and wondering to myself why this time these social justice movements were hitting me so hard, like Black people in the United States, elsewhere, have been being killed by police have been, like, filmed being killed by police in the past. And I I mean, as much as I engage with that content, I choose not to really actively engage with that kind of trauma online. I don't think it's appropriate. But I mean, that trauma is still in my body, I know what happened. Um, I just couldn't imagine like why I wasn't feeling so enraged the other times. And then I realized like, oh, because I was obsessed with myself. Like I was so obsessed with me and what I was doing and what I was eating and and what I wasn't eating and how I was working out and uh, what size pants I was wearing that I literally could not see past my own body and think about people being killed. being killed and it blew my own mind how irresponsible that felt and how shallow it felt um and I knew that that would definitely resonate with so many other people who were either still in that or on the very edge of coming out of that and being like where do I put my energy where do I put my energy how can I use this energy how can I use this, these feelings somewhere else. Because if you have the energy and the time to dedicate to regimented food and regimented exercise, you have a gift for energy and time that you can give to other things, including social justice movements.
0: And I wonder, do you think maybe that focus on food and exercise was part of a maybe a subconscious thing that maybe your brain did to, to kind of protect you and to um, it does distract you, but distract you from the difficult stuff from, from reality, you know, from absolutely realities. Yeah.
1: I actually, I've talked about this before, but my um, I think my real obsession and desire to be in a smaller body or in a different body in general was to increase my proximity to whiteness. My, my family is, I'm, I'm mixed. I'm, I present as a black woman, but my mother's a white woman, my grandmother's and these are the women who are raising me. My cousins are all white. My, my closest cousin has hair that's blonder than yours. And, um and she's just this very quintessential California girl and I wanted to be like that so bad and part of that was from a personal experience of that being my family and you know really looking up to your family and wanting to be closer to them but also part of that is a mechanism of protection because we do know that people in bigger bodies are treated different like we do know that people in black bodies are treated different so the combination of that I just wanted to continue shrinking to be less noticeable in the body that I am in like I wanted to be the least amount on anybody's radar as a form of protection
0: mm, and I think um yeah I think that's really important for people to understand I think that's really um yeah I don't I do not think I really have anything to say <laughs> I think I'm just like <laughs> yeah like that's that's part of it and i think that's why i think particularly recently we're kind of having this conversation around like we can't talk about diet culture and its influence without talking about how it does have its links with um white supremacy and how that manifests itself for different people and why we all want to be thin and um yeah i think um Th- th- this is a much bigger conversation but I think um yeah it's really interesting to hear your perspective on that and to hear your story so thank you for sharing that with us I think we, we- yeah
1: I mean every time I share it I feel like I'm like a little bit closer to understanding it myself so <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah and it, yeah um and in general like how so where fitness has probably maybe been like you said, that a way to protect yourself in in different forms. Do you feel like understanding what diet culture is, finding out about um, having an intuitive relationship with fitness? Um, am I right in saying that you, do you practice intuitive eating as well?
1: Yeah, I do. So, um, jokingly. But before this, yeah, my partner made like 36... Chocolate chip cookies before like nine thirty a.m. here, um, which in in past would have been you know something that could have sent me over the edge as like a very triggering experience. And it's just funny to think that like by by the time we hopped on this call, there were like dozens of cookies overflowing in our kitchen, um, and that's fine because like that's okay. It's a cookie. It's mm. not gonna you know it's not a weapon, but. Um, I think that intuitive eating has been part of my journey and I think they've evolved hand in hand. I think maybe the fitness aspect was a little bit easier for me to grasp than the food aspect. I oh, really. Um, yeah, and I don't talk a ton about my diet. I I mean, I love to cook. I love to cook, love to eat. I love trying everybody else's food. I love I'll go to someone's house and try their mom's food, like whatever. Like I love the culture and community around food, but um, during my recovery exercise definitely was an easier transition for me. I, I have never stopped exercising since I started. I just changed my relationship with it while I was in it, but food definitely had to be a little bit more actively engaging with that intuitive Mm. work and thinking to myself, you know, where are these thoughts coming from? Where are these feelings coming from? Uh, and I still work on it every day. I mean, I, I truly work on it every day. We eat every day, and I work on it every day.
0: And I think that I think the, the misconception with intuitive eating, and then you know, in the in connection, intuitive movement, is that it's like right. I do it. I read the book. I tick the boxes, and then I'm done. Right? Like that's it. Course completed. I've yes. figured it out. We're and, good. Right, yeah. <laughs> And it is an ongoing process. It is an ongoing journey of self-reflection. I've And I'd, I'd be really curious to hear how you have found lockdown um, and how that's, um, has that made you think about your relationship with exercise? I'm saying this because it's made me question things. So I just wondered if, even though I think, you know, I've done a ton of work and things are great, I'm like, oh, it's... There's things still coming up for me, you know, years later. And I just wondered if that's been the case for you.
1: I have stayed so incredibly busy during this time, which is, you know, a symptom and a thing that we can talk about in an entirely different uh, podcast about Lauren Lavelle, the workaholic. But um, (laughs) I love my job. I love the community that I serve. I love moving with people and helping people move their body so much so that my investment in my movement practice hasn't changed a ton since we've been in lockdown. It changed forms, it changed places. Like I am jumping around in my very small bedroom now as opposed to in a studio. Like I lost a bar, so I use a chair, all the things that have kind of, you know, shifted. But for me, my feelings about my movement practice, if anything, have had to become more intuitive because I have to take care of myself. And if I, if I didn't have those check-ins with myself, I might run myself into the ground. Um, mm. And I know some people are, are it's, it seems like it's one way or the other, where I have people coming to me with a lot of guilt. Like I haven't worked out in three months and I'm like, Okay. Like, I mean, I don't want to sound like blase about them not working out in three months. I mean more that, like, that is so not on the front of the list, like the top of the list of things to do. Working out is so far down compared to just being safe, taking care of your family, taking care of yourself. So I think that there's those people or there's the people who are booking multiple classes a day because they just don't know what to do with their energy. They don't, mm-hmm. don't want to stop moving. They're afraid if they stop moving, what will happen to them. So I think we're seeing it play out in that way. I'm somewhere in between where I'm like, some days I'm just teaching my classes and I'm not doing my own workout. If I can squeeze my own workout in, it's usually no longer than 30 minutes and it's practice for something that we're doing in class or uh, something that I want to fine tune for myself it's never it's never too grueling too punishing it's more just something that comes over me and I feel like I need to do
0: Mm. I found that really interesting what you're saying about people who are drawn to to keep exercising and I kind of wanted to finish your sentence and be like I think there's for some people it can be a case of if I don't stop exercising I'll have to start feeling and I think that's scary and I think that's, um, that's yeah, it's, it, it, it can feel like a lot. And I think, um, yeah, my experience of lockdown has definitely been, I stopped exercising and I started feeling. And it's just been like, oh, oh, it's been... A roller coaster. <laughs> um, and I mean, that's just this is all stuff that's going on for me anyway, let alone what else is going on in the world. Like, you know, it's been a lot. And so I really empathize with people who, you know, have either struggled to find motivation because it's like you know, this is everything so up in the air and, you know. it feel
1: so trivial to try to think about that if it doesn't come naturally. And I think that's mm-hmm. what a lot of people were like, well, I need to start exercising because now I can't, you know, walk to my car, park my car and walk to my office. Like I've eliminated everything I've been doing. So I better yeah. start exercising. And I'm like, or yeah, like it doesn't have to be so organized or so serious.
0: It can be intuitive. Yes. It just <laughs> it can be, be
1: Yeah. Just be carrying stuff upstairs. Like things change. You gotta adapt.
0: And I think that's a really important point to make about intuitive movement. And you know, I think some people um I think there's there's a bit of a spectrum of intuitive movement. And I think it can be like literally doing whatever you want to do in which however you want to do it. And that's fantastic. And I also think that's partly where other people really thrive off having routine and structure and doing those things. And that's not to say that isn't intuitive. Um, It really is all about the intention behind that structure. And, you know, also knowing you're going into it being like, okay, if I want to stop at any point, I can. If I want to have a rest day at any point, I can. You know, there is flexibility within this and I can... Go with the flow. I can um, make this work. I'm not trying to make myself work for a schedule. I'm making the schedule work for me. I'm making this routine work for me. And I think that's a really important, like, a, important, like, differentiation between those two things. Um, yeah. But i i uh, I would be interested in how you, as an instructor, because we had Van Hass on the podcast. I know you follow Van Hass online, mm-hmm. and um, we have been friends for years because I met her on the first day of my personal, personal training job. So the first one of the first people I ever met. And um, we were talking about, we both also teach for the same studio, teaching spin classes. And we were talking about how we encourage people to be intuitive, even in a class situation, when you're. there is structure. Obviously, there's structure to a class. Um, we're not going in there just doing you know what I mean? Everything and random, you know, plucking random things in the air, you know, we've gone in with intention. So I just wondered how you're um, encouraging that um, intuition in class and kind of what that sounds like, what that, how that works for you.
1: Yeah, I think I have a little bit of an advantage just because I'm not teaching spin. So most of my work, well, I mean, you know, like spin can be hard. I know you can change the amount, you know, like, all, here's how much I know about spin. I know you can change things on the yeah. bike. Um, you can go faster or slower.
0: No, well, don't, um, don't ask me about my bar knowledge, though, so,
1: it's fine. <laughs> so for the workouts that I'm doing, they're primarily body, weight based or you know the body is the machine that we're using um and i like to start especially now on zoom because i've had so many new people join me by saying they don't need to turn their camera on if they don't want to they're free to keep their video off um I would love to see them, but they don't have to be seen if they don't feel like being seen today. If they feel like turning their camera off in the middle of class, they're allowed to do that. If they feel like turning it on in the middle of class, they're allowed to do that. So that's kind of how I start every class. And then moving forward through class, I provide variations and, I mean, modifications, variations, and I vary the way that I provide them. So I will start with one version of it and maybe that's a plank in tabletop we all start with plank and tabletop and then we work our way into different planks just knowing that you can all return to hands on the floor knees on the floor totally fine to return there so i think for me as an instructor it's always giving people number one the permission to do whatever the hell they want like if they came there to listen and hang out with me and they decided that they wanted to do jumping jacks instead of any other thing that I was giving them. They are free to do jumping jacks for 45 minutes um, if that's what they really, really, truly want to do. But that kind of permission. And then secondly, I would say just providing that, those cues throughout class to listen, cues to where, you, where, where I'm feeling it in my body. And I always say like, I'm feeling this in the front of my legs. I'm feeling this in my glutes. I'm feeling this in my shoulders. Just to kind of give people a check in for them to be like, "She's feeling it in her shoulders." Like, "I'm feeling this in my ankles." Like, what am I doing? <laughs> um, and try to lead people to think like how they are posturing themselves, how they're moving and everything like that to give them the best experience on their own because I'm not there in person to adjust them. Uh mm-hmm. number one in person I don't I will do, do everything until I, until I, you know, I would say, okay, do you want me to move your shoulders down for you? Mm. But I really feel like cueing people with words and with mimicking them will help them more because if you feel your shoulders move down, it's easier than me going and pushing them down. Um, so yeah, I think just telling them they could do what they want at the very beginning of class, which I think people are kind of blown away by just like, what? I'm like, yeah, you really don't have to listen to me. Um, Number two, giving people plenty of variations. And then number three, really just talking about how it feels in my body and really giving them permission to name where they feel it in their body. And maybe saying like, okay, maybe if it's your lower back, it's your neck, maybe we do something else. But otherwise, like, okay, everybody's different. Maybe you do feel it in your glutes
0: yeah and i think that's a really important part of intuitive movement is about getting people to learn how to feel that literally be in their body you know get people to be like oh i i what does it feel like when i'm engaging my core what does it feel like when my lats are engaged how does it feel when um you know my when i'm in a squat what what are those physical sensations so not only do you know what it feels like when you you're doing it um in a way that's right for you but also you know when you're doing it in a way way that's not right for you you know that's not feeling good um and it's about encouraging that connection because i think i think where the fit where kind of we fail in fitness is we try to Trainers pitch ourselves as the expert of people's bodies, and you know I know your body better than you. And you can't be tired. You've got to do ten more. You know you're doing press ups. You need to do five more reps. Like you, you can't be tired now. When I think it's about as you kind of have said, it's like giving that client, giving that person in your class permission to listen to their body and trust it. It literally is about that trust, and you know i have been in i don't know i i've seen a lot in my in my career in terms of like how being in classes myself and it's really interesting how like i think a lot of times um the trainer like i said does feel like the expert is the authority and i think um you know, we need to be really careful of that. And whilst I think it's important that we have respect, (laughs) the dynamic of um, respect, but it's important to say like, you know, ultimately, you know yourself best. So keep you know I always encourage particularly with one-on-one people not in a whole class that'd be a lot but feedback like how are you feeling how are you feeling what does it feel like um where's your energy yes. at what are you and you know keeping that dialogue open so that a person can do that and I think you don't and sometimes you don't even need a trainer to do that I think you could do that with yourself you could just keep checking in when you're doing your workouts and be like hey how, how do I feel now you know am I tired? Am I energized? Am I tired, but I could actually give push a little bit more? Like, is there a bit more in the tank? Maybe there actually is. And you know, you can have this little dialogue going
1: on. I mean, I do that. I I do that all the time. And I, I think that it goes back to kind of what you were saying about feeling, because I think that the people who are primarily using exercise to avoid those feelings are the same people who are going to the classes with the trainers. Who are discouraging them from having any individual feelings
0: oh you've hit you've you've hit a nail on the head there i had not i had not put those two and two together and i think that's really clear yes
1: yes because yes. i've been to classes like you said mm. we've both been to a lot of classes mm. and i've been to classes where people are Rowing their bodies around, oh. like the rowing them. And I mean, as a spin instructor, I, I went to, I think that's part of the reason that I, there's so many reasons that I am not a frequent spinner. One, my butt hurts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I think that going to a spin class that I went to, I saw so many people who were definitely into it. You know, they were into it. They had the gear, they were there, they were in the front. But when I saw them through my trainer eyes, I saw their cores not engaged. I saw their shoulders rolling so far forward that that posture couldn't have been truly comfortable and safe for them to be going at the speed they were going. And all the things that go through your head, you know, when you kind of know a little bit better where you're just like, that probably doesn't feel that great. Or I've been to classes where people are throwing their very, their arms just like kind of like this, and I'm 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 thinking, well, you're here to be engaged, right? But they quite literally are physically not engaged and mentally not engaged in that workout. They're just there to drown out whatever they're avoiding with that forty-five minutes
0: yeah and I also would love to know your thoughts on how fitness trackers play into that sense of of um distraction I think because I think for people who are here's my here's my, little, <laughs> here's my little spiel on it because I think I don't want to be, like I don't think fitness trackers are inherently evil but I do think once again it's about intention and secondly um You've got to be able to take it off. You've got to be able to take breaks from it. And that's, that's getting to a healthy place with it. But also, I don't know about you, but I've taught loads of classes where people are fiddling around with these watches and they miss half the class. They're not... Not only that's... are they, they're missing half the class because they're too busy seeing how many calories they burned. Um, that self... That, that need to quantify the workout For is good not... For good or bad, yeah. yeah is not letting you be in your body. You're not actually it's like you're not experiencing it to be in your body. You're experiencing it for validation. And I think that's the that's what I see it that's how diet culture has taken this piece of technology and said, I know what to do with this. Cause like they can be great. I like if you're training for like long distance running and stuff, I imagine it's very useful to like know your pace and be able, you know, to it can be really useful. But I do think that 's where diet culture swooped in and was like, "Uh-huh, I got this tech gotcha <laughs> and i I'm, and 'm I'm going to use it and i'm like I know, how to, you know, I know how to make people feel reliant on this
1: yeah because
0: you know because you couldn 't possibly know your body that 's the thing you know we 've been talking about this element of trust diet culture 's whole mo is to be like you can 't trust yourself you can 't do this yourself, you need me, you need my tools, you need my technology, you need my trainers you need my weight loss products because you can't do you couldn't possibly do this on your own um and you know when we're coming at it from an intuitive perspective it's to say like no you are more than capable of doing it on your own and actually those things have been distracting you and also helping you to not feel like this is fun and enjoyable
1: yes i i I, I don't know if you're referencing or know about my post about the fitness tracker thing. I don't know if we did I did see
0: it. it. I did see it. So you can chat about it. Go for it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, um, I've i had those frustrating experiences. I One of my love languages is getting pictures of people and or in real life like seeing people's glow after a workout right so I love getting sweaty selfies after a workout now that we're virtual in real life I love seeing people just like on their mat continuing to stretch after just being like ah we're done um, and I can't stand seeing people's fitness tracker pictures I love you so much and I'm really happy that you think that your fitness tracker is telling you that you had a good workout but like did you have a good workout or not? You don't need a watch to tell you that. And full disclosure, I am wearing a fitness tracker and I do use a fitness tracker, but that's after three years of not wearing anything at all. And this fitness tracker has no face on it. You can't see any responses. You can't see heart rate, calories, strain any of that on this you have to go onto your phone to see it and um so it's not constantly disrupting you it never tells me that i need to take more steps it never Mm. tells me any of those things which is why i went with this tracker and i can send you information on it if you would like to put it in there but
0: yeah i think it i think it sounds really interesting because i think literally just having that on your wrist, like that constant looking at it, checking it. And if you're able to like, you can use it, but you don't have to, you can be present in your body in the moment. I think that's... Yeah. Really
1: so I, I went with this tracker because the platform that it's on encourages recovery and rest. Like, so it, it really talks equally about your workouts and your sleep. Mm-hmm. And to me as someone who is working out for a living and moving my body, like I said, I actually have to be intuitive about taking breaks as opposed to like the other way around. Um, I wanted something to tell me like, Hey friend, like you kind of sleep like trash. Can you get your, (laughs) can you get your sleep schedule in order? Which of course I have not. Um, but
0: but in intentions,
1: (laughs) you know, later on, I might, I've only been wearing it for a little bit, but, um, I think that, that this is, this is the reason that I went with this tracker. And I, I have a couple of non-diet dietitian friends who this is the tracker that for, for athletes and for people who are working with their body frequently, they would encourage as opposed to something being ding, 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 you did not get your 10,000 steps, like, Mm. what does that mean, and also, like, who made that up, and also, like, why, why,
0: why? (laughs) Well, I can, I did a bit of research around this, did you know the 10,000 steps goal came from um, a Japanese company, because they created basically the first pedometer, and they were like, how can we market this, how can we get people to get interesting and they're like, I know they have to walk ten thousand steps a day, and they just literally pulled this number out of nowhere as a marketing gimmick. Um, and actually, the kind of evidence says, I think up to about if you once you kind of get about seven thousand ish steps, um, there's not really any difference if you do seven thousand or ten thousand in terms of benefit on your body, which is interesting.
1: I in yeah, and we haven't, and we even knowing that with the research. We haven't brought it down to seven thousand because maybe because ten thousand is is an easier number, or it's because we continue encouraging people to push themselves or to get into the zone or to all the things that happen when you feel like you need to take ten thousand steps.
0: Mm, And it's and once again, I think that number is arbitrary and that is outsourcing something. You know you. You could walk nine thousand nine hundred and fifty steps and probably feel great. And I think, I think the the thing with that number and the, the the it's when it invokes feelings of guilt and shame, and you find yourself running up and down the stairs to close your rings. And that's the kind of place when it's like, okay, let's assess the relationship with this thing. If if something's making you feeling guilty and it's making you feel anxious about, like you know. I mean, especially right now, it's really hard to, um, safely you know, just, walk 10,000 steps. Yeah. Get, get, <laughs> yeah, get those steps in. And, um, I think, yeah, it's just being really curious with yourself and your motivations and your, your reasons. And, and also like, you know, we're talking a lot about feeling today in general, right? <laughs> And how does it make you feel? Like, how does it make you feel to have some a watch tell you like, oh, you need to get up and move. Do you suddenly feel like, oh, no, I sat down for too long again. I'm, I'm so lazy. I, you know, is it making yes. you have this internal dialogue with yourself? And I think, yeah, I mean, like I said, not inherently bad. Not inherently bad. But um, there needs to be just a lot of questions asked when using it. And yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure I might get some messages about this, so I will ask you. Just maybe you can send me the details, and I can put it in the show notes for the podcast. Yes,
1: yes, I, um, I, I'm naturally pretty nerdy, so that was the other reason that yeah. I kind of like.
0: A, are you like a data-driven person? Are you like a?
1: I, I do. I, I, went to school and I, I specialized in like data mapping and you know all those uh, things where you yeah. see like the parts of the map. Ugh. Yes. Love that. So of course I love some numbers, but I had to take some time back and realize that those numbers, what do they mean? And also even, even looking at the numbers that are coming from this data, what do they actually mean still? Mm. Do I believe them still? Do I, you know, how beholden am I to the fact that like this day was a, very hard day versus a very not hard day. The only numbers I really care about on this thing are my sleep. Like I'm really interested Mm -hmm. in seeing how my sleep is tracked. And also I've been tracking it kind of on my own, right? Like I know that I got up to feed the cat and get a glass of water at 3 a.m. I know that. Does my data show that? Or does Mm -hmm. it show that I'm still asleep? Like how sensitive is it? All these things that kind of are experimental and happening because we've been inside for three months. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But like, maybe I, I don't normally have time for, but still, again, really focusing on me as an individual. There's none of that, like compete with a team to get to 10,000 steps kind of thing. Um, Mm. And I think focusing on really like how I feel in my body and can I align that with this piece of technology to really become advantageous to me, to plan my workouts, to plan my hikes, to plan a, you know, how much water I plan on drinking in a day? Do I have a better, do I sleep better when I eat later or earlier? All those things that are like super nerdy um, I've been into, but I don't think that, I, I don't think about this at all until it's like the battery's almost dead, and I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> but um, it doesn't, like I said, I just don't interact with it, it's more like a hairband on my wrist, because it's just just here, a black band.
0: Well, I would love to hear, like, I don't know, even, you know, if you want to use it for, like, a while, it's, like, a review on it, just to see, like, your findings, like, do you think it's accurate, do you think, I did not think that would be interesting, something I would personally, can I make oh, a request? Yeah. I,
1: have, <laughs> I have an initial review, and I've actually been, um, I've been talking with and working with the company to make it more for the everyday user, Hmm. less for the intense athlete. So how can, how can your everyday person, how can people like us, people who are taking our classes really use this technology in a way that moves them away from that obsession with things outside of their body. And I think that that's really the most important part of using any kind of fitness technology, mm. even if it's a, if it's a tool, like if you're or if you're using a watch, like how are you using that for yourself as an individual?
0: Definitely. Now I wanted to talk to you about your perceptions. Cause you spoke about earlier in your fitness journey, you were like doing much more grueling, intense workouts. And like things have changed. And I wanted to know if you used to perceive exercise as good And bad because like you know when we talk about choosing eating we talk about um well laura thomas she talks about having a shit list of foods that you have and you don't eat them and you know they're not okay and we all have this thing where like the, the list of food that we don't you know it's quite bad food um and you know learning to neutralize that and realize it's not good or bad it's just food can i ask if you ever have that with exercise because i need to be honest um my on my shit list of exercise was bar for a long time so I apologize for that because <laughs> it I doesn't kind of surprise like, me you know I was kind of like I'm not sweating I mean it was the same with like yoga pilates anything that was like not hardcore gym I was like yeah I'm, I'm just not sweating enough I'm not you know my watch didn't tell me it burned enough calories and you know and I was like perceived it to not be the best use of my time totally however I now have a new appreciation for all these things because it's not, I don't, I no longer train for like, what's, you know, the best results. I train for like, what's best for my mind and my body. Um, And all those things can be great for your mind and body. So I would wonder if, if you, what was on your kind of good and bad list and how that different, how that is different now?
1: Yeah, I am. I'm just thinking about how, like, I have always had this horrible relationship with cardio exercises because i just don't think they're fun but i was still doing a ton of them mm. because that's how that's how it works right like you got to do that cardio to shred mm. um and so i think that cardio in general but i will say like running and spin were on my list of good exercises. And I never liked them. I hated mm. them. I hated them so much. And then something like Pilates. I remember the first couple Pilates classes I went to, which wasn't that long ago, but even still, I was like, this is kind of boring.
0: Um, Cause it's not so dynamic. It's like, it's a right, lot and more about like feeling your core and like all these little things. Right. Right. And also the, you
1: know, typically you're not doing, there are some Pilates like with the mega formers and all those that you're doing them in like a dark room with the loud mm. music, which is kind of like sometimes how I like to get my exercise outside of my own routine. Cause I just kind of like to have a party, but yeah. <laughs> um, it was like a very quiet scenario in Pilates. And I was like, Oh, this is very quiet. Oh, I don't know if I like this. Um, And and that kind of has always been evolving based on like where I am and, and I, I see the value in so many different forms of exercise that even that even running that I don't like necessarily. I I can go for a run without feeling like it needs to be fast. I can go for a run without feeling like I need to run for 10 minutes straight or whatever, whatever it is. And I think changing your, your um, interpretation of like how you do the exercise can change how you feel about the entire thing all at once. Like it's good for me to go for a run to remind myself like how I feel when I'm running, you know, how my posture feels, how my feet feel, are my shoes comfortable, all the little things that like maybe You don't think about when you're just like, oh, got to beat this time, got to do all that stuff. Um, So that's been important for me as far as like good and bad exercises. And then, yeah, how I can work them into my practice with my clients, how I can relate to my clients, because if my client is a runner and I'm like, dude, I don't run, I don't know, I've never run in my life, then you know it's hard to relate to them in that way. But really kind of embarking on like, A little jog just to be like oh yeah this is how these are the muscles that they're probably really working these are the muscles we should work on or here's the posture moves we should be doing all those things kind of make it a little bit less you know terrible
0: i think like yeah it's like you're allowed to i think with intuitive movement as well like you're allowed to like not like certain things but it's like yeah whether you're classifying them as like oh, this is the good thing to do because you know it's gonna like make me smaller or is this the is a good thing to do because you know I've been running in lockdown because it's my like one of my lowest forms of cardio that I like to do, but all my other options are not available to me right now. <laughs> yeah. so it's the yeah. bottom of my list, but I'm having to like settle. Um and you know, I haven't hated it. I don't love it. I don't wake up, you know, bouncing out my front door like, come on, let's go. I'm very much like, right, I'm gonna go do it. And sometimes it has been great to just like get that freedom. But yeah, like I don't love it, but I respect it.
1: Yeah, my partner love it. is definitely like a cardio person. <laughs> mm, and- same. So I, I'm just like, what every, every few days, it's like, do you want to go out for a run? And I'm like, still, no, it's still a no. Um, Do you you want to go for a bike ride? I'm like, I don't have a bike. I'm not going to borrow one. I'm not going to buy one. This is not the time for me to get into bike riding. Mm -hmm. I grew up, like I said, in Southern California, I'll get on a beach cruiser and go very slow. But like, we're not going trail biking. That sounds horrible.
0: Did you ever, I don't know if this is a California thing, but um, I love TikTok, and I say this probably in every episode, and I always do a TikTok reference at some point, but um, it's really cool on TikTok to rollerblade.
1: Oh my gosh. I I, I saw one recently with um, a person doing like very...
0: It's very very cool oh very but they're always like going down the street but they're like it's very cool and they just look effortlessly cool um and I i'm like
1: my face open oh
0: same but i was gonna say was that because yeah um we didn't really we had like rollerblading when we were kids but i was like that is a great form of movement like what a cool thing to go and do like that is um you know what a fun form of movement like that's amazing um I wonder if it's something they did because you said you're by the beach and I just imagine people going down like they're like boardwalk area, like <laughs> rollerblading yeah. in, my, in my mind. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I, I I think bike bike riding and and skating have always been mm-hmm. like things that people do along the beach. Uh they're having a for sure revival right now. Mm-hmm. Um everywhere in Philly too, and we're not at the beach, but I've definitely seen more people rollerblading and skating. Yeah. Um and and it, you know they ice skate here in philly too again again not I don't, not, <laughs> not for me not for me
0: <laughs> i mean i'd love to do it but i'm like a scared i'm a bit i get a bit nervous about things and hurt myself
1: but yeah. oh yeah my partner is the one who like is on a skateboard and i don't know if he knows how to skate um like all the things like that i'm afraid of he's Right
0: in yeah. there. Yep. Yeah. Same. Same. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's so ironic because yeah, my boyfriend's like very naturally, very naturally sporty. His whole life just naturally takes to any form of like athleticism. Just as just as good at everything. Um, I've really had to like I've got good at a couple of things. Um, <laughs> spin being one of them. Um, I do. I like to swim as well. That's another one I like to do. I had swimming lessons last year. And yes. all these things are closed. I can't I don't I can't actually oh, yeah. so it's really yeah. sad. But it has been interesting in yeah, realizing, I think, you know, realizing oh how how do I like to move my body when those things are taken away from me and how can I adapt? And it's been hard. Like it's not been I wasn't like woke up, you know, great, got a new routine, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do no. that. And I was like, No, I genuinely do really miss those things and I realized that they actually bring me a lot of joy. And they I also realize I need space outside of my flat. I need to get out. Um, yes, yes, to have, that, especially when you're working at home. I just need to just have that separation a bit. But it's, it's um, it's an interesting time to be an intuitive mover, mover because you're kind of like, you know, I could. I think for some people have like got really in the groove of it and like I've got so much more free time, I can do this. But I think um, some of us, me included, have slowed down a lot and are like, oh, you know uh, I need to come up, you know, what's, what's happening? When am I, when am I going to get back to my, uh, my routine?
1: I think that there's definitely a period of mourning for the routines that we had. I mean, so much more outside of fitness, but if we're just focusing on fitness and movement, there's definitely some mourning involved. Like we had to adjust and change and, for some of the people I think who are coming back into movement or just started moving with me, that's why they have this confession, like, I haven't moved in three months. Mm. And I'm like, okay, you know, but um, I think that that's more of a, a period of time where they were just maybe mourning that routine that they had established and started to love. And like, I really love this one teacher. And now they're not teaching there anymore, or they're not teaching online, or the times don't work all the things that kind of have had to change can be really sad especially when you're when you're in recovery and maybe maybe just on the other side of it maybe you just found a teacher you liked or maybe you just mm-hmm. found something you liked and then it was taken away from you that's a hard coping mechanism and like new life mechanism to lose and so i think that that's why i've had so many like Email confessions. <laughs> like, I haven't moved in three months. I'm like, it's okay. I'm sure you've moved in three months. Yeah,
0: um, <laughs> I'm sure you've not literally sat still for three months. <laughs> if you have,
1: very talented. Wondering how you've done it, but um, you know, I think that that people had to adjust, and some people it took a little longer. For me, getting my movement and exercises up online really was me working. like for 36 36 hours straight pretty much, like um, with very little sleep in between, converting my classes to being virtually appropriate, converting my website to be able to have people log onto it. And I think Scott was like, are you ever gonna eat or rest again? And I was like, yeah, sure. Just let me get these emails out. and it happened very quickly for me. So then within that week, I was able to start. But I know some trainers who were just like, like you were saying, like, ah, what, what can we do? You know, and who really needed the break, honestly. They needed the break. And whether or not it was for a good or a bad reason, they needed the break. And I think it was really, really important for them to take that time away. Um, so mm. it's been really nice to see my friends thriving in a different way than Mm. they maybe thought they were going to.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I do think there's an expectation on fitness professionals that we're all superhuman and we just keep going and we never stop and we never, um, you know, we never take a break.
1: Yeah, we never feel
0: bad. (laughs) No, and actually I think, um, yeah, it's really important to acknowledge that, no, we absolutely are human and, you know, we're absolutely living through the same time that everyone else is right we're, just, we're trying to deal with the same thing that everyone else is and trying to navigate our way through um and yeah it's been interesting it has been interesting um and having to adapt to that and yeah finding ways to do things differently and not in your usual setting in usual environments that are like that are the comfort zones they are the the, famili- the familiar things that you know um, yeah and
1: the studio can make you yeah. feel like a certain way like you know that when you walk in like see all the bikes you're like
0: mm-hmm. it's time to rock
1: but yeah. but now you're you're just looking at your your shoes like I guess I'll go outside
0: <laughs> yep yep <laughs> um awesome so I feel like we should finish this with asking then recently so obviously we've been talking about intuitive movement and with the book being called train happy and the podcast being called train happy i like to get people to think about their train happy moment which is really about um the time that they honored their body whether that be through rest or exercise or whatever it was it can be a multitude of things but really like how you like recently you know was there a time recently when you listen to your body and honored that, and I just wondered what your most recent train happy moment was.
1: Yes, uh, I'm in Philadelphia, as I mentioned, so it is getting very hot and very humid. It's actually, it's here, it's hot and humid, (laughs) Um, and I was kind of thinking about doing a workout. I was I was looking around thinking about it and I actually was able to make it outside in my little yard space and do a solo workout completely mm-hmm. free from distractions. Even though it was sweaty, even though it was, you know, very hot out and I think that it was my train happy moment because I took as many breaks as I wanted and I didn't have anyone watching me and I just kind of played in the backyard (laughs) Mm -hmm. in in very few terms. I was playing and I was doing movements that felt really great with no, like, I need to do three sets. I need to do, no, I was just like, I'm going to do four of these and three of those and uh, sit down and drink some water and then get back up and do it again. So I think that spending that time alone and moving my body strictly for me for no one watching, not for a picture on Instagram, not for any anything, anything, anything at all besides just being in my backyard and having a summer moment has been like my train happy moment as of lately.
0: I love that. And I just want to pick up on what you're saying about not taking a photo for and not necessarily sharing it. And I think, um, yeah, I wondered, you know, I... <laughs> I I kind of had to start working out for myself and only myself and not sharing it because I realized that, you know, that was part of a, I don't know, I, I don't have to prove myself to anyone. I think just like that mental like, I don't need to I need to prove myself to anyone, but also, um you know, I'm aware of my online presence and I also don't want to feel like people feel like, oh, she's working out all the time, I have to work out all the time. And I'm really conscious of just like, letting people do their own thing and just knowing that this is a fitness space, but you know, you do you, you know? And I just, so I just wondered what your thoughts were behind not sharing it because those are mine.
1: Um, yeah, I, I have a little bit of sometimes insecurity about not sharing more workouts because I'm thinking, Oh, is this what the people want? Is this what Mm. people want from me? Do they want to see me demoing more moves, me doing this, me doing that. And I have to keep some of those things for myself. Just like I don't share all of my food, I don't feel like it's responsible to share all of my workouts. Number one, because you're able to come to class with me if you really want to, and we can work out together. And number two, because like you said, I don't want, I mean, I do, I personally love seeing my friends in their movement elements and all of that. And I'm in a place where I could be in bed watching you work out and I wouldn't feel bad about it, but maybe <laughs> someone else does. And I don't want that to be something that is the motivation for them to get up and move necessarily. Like if it's just like, Oh no, here it is. I need to post mine or, you know, all mm-hmm. of that. Um, and I think lastly is just having something for yourself because mm-hmm. I th- I think with social media, so much of us are putting putting so much of ourselves out there, and my platform specifically is so very authentically me. Like I don't I don't plan ahead with my posts. Like I don't I don't think about anything besides the post that I'm writing at all. Um, and my stories too like you know I get on my stories however I look at that very moment
0: um uh, can we just we just need to reference um Lauren's laundry piles which just made my life um I was they're like here. They're so, here. I know. so if you're watching this on YouTube you can see but basically explain the quickly explain the laundry pile because I was like oh my goodness this is yes I relate to this I
1: am the worst at putting away my laundry and I think that um, that's a form of my authenticity online and offline. My friends know, my friends know it in real life and they know it online now, but I think that we are so wrapped up in that perfect workout photo with our great background and our clean mid-century modern home, um, (laughs) that's all neutral colors and all that, you know, um, that we forget, Like we, we try to pretend that we don't have laundry piles in the corner and we try to pretend that we don't have dishes that maybe need to get done. And maybe some people don't. I know that my, my aunt Kathy does not, she does not have laundry piles ever, but I am not her. And I do have probably a constant laundry mountain somewhere lurking in the background. Every picture you see of me, there's probably unfolded laundry at my house. So I wanted to put that out there for other people. And the amount of people who sent me their hilarious laundry setups was everything. I screenshotted so many of them and I didn't even share them. I just wanted to go back and laugh at like literally people just like sitting on top of their laundry that's on their bed. People saying that they push it over and sleep next to it, like all these things. And I'm like, that's real life. That's what it means to be a human. Even when you're home 24 24- yeah day in 2020 you still can't put your laundry away
0: oh well we've had to schedule in some time <laughs> to clean this flat because it's got a bit pretty neglected in the last few weeks um and we're like we need to clean this place like we <laughs> talking yeah like after this after this is done I was like I need to go and do the dishwasher because it's all piled up and yeah like that's that is real life. And so I appreciated it. Um, and I love following people who are just literally themselves and yeah, aren't trying to be anything they're not. I love that. Oh yeah. I I think that
1: it takes way too much energy for me to be anyone but myself.
0: Yes. I mean, and I mean, just to link it back to what you're saying about diet culture and its influence in like literally was a tool for you to like, try to not literally be yourself. And I think that's what it is for so many of us. It's like we, I think it's like it's linked. It's like the same of, you know, being able to just be completely in your body as it is, is the same as like being able to share your laundry, being able to share the messy things to just be like, yeah, so this is me and that's okay. And I think it's that, that, um, and it's, yeah, it might not seem like a vulnerable thing to share your laundry pile, but I also think that it kind of is to be like, yeah, I'm that's me and that's okay. And I think we need more of that in the world. We need more of people just being unapologetically themselves. And I think you know, part of the reason we push back against dark culture, you know, we 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 work to dismantle it and you know, is because we want people to be unapologetically themselves and we want people to yeah, have the headspace, have the capacity to just be their full selves. Um And with that full self, you can do amazing things. And you, you know, I always say, like, people have so much potential to fulfill. Um, And, you know, our brains are being consumed by something that if we let go of it, like, you know, we could make serious change in the world. Huge impact. You know, if we had that headspace back.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think that that the reason that I've had so much connection and so much joy and the ability to do my job is because I allowed myself to have that space and I allowed myself to be this very flawed human being that I am that's ever-changing and throwing mini tantrums and lying on the floor and not putting her laundry away but also you know teaching great classes and collaborating with people like you and, and doing, doing things that are really exciting, and both of those are so, or both of those sides are so much like of the human experience. And I feel like we can't just show one and completely neglect the other.
0: Exactly. Lauren, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you today. I feel like we could even continue for another hour and a half. Um, part two I'm,
1: coming soon. Yeah,
0: we will have to do it. Where can people find you? Where can people find your classes? What's the yes. best way to find out? Because I mean, the best thing about doing it online is international, baby. You can get people from all over the world. I know. And I've had some and it's amazing. Well, um, I, need to, I need to do one. I need to just work yeah. out the time and then I need to come do it.
1: You can find me at Lauren which is my website. That's where you would register for classes. There's a work with me tab and everything. It's pretty, pretty simple. It's a very simple uh, website because I created it and we just (laughs) talked about how I don't have time for any of that. Um, (laughs) And then if you want to follow my laundry adventures, my, uh, you know, failed cooking adventures. My I've recently been hanging out with my friend's chickens. All of that is on Instagram, uh, at Lauren Lavelle Fitness. And yeah, those are the two main spaces that I'm occupying. My classes are on Zoom. And looking forward in the next couple of weeks to some pre-recorded content for folks who can't get there at a certain time to be able to experience my classes you won't be getting called out by name maybe i won't be like yeah bring it but um i will be like that it'll just be like nobody's name because you'll be (laughs) bringing it yourself but um so that's coming soon and hopefully that'll carry folks through the summer especially the people who are not going to be able to or interested in returning to the studio
0: Mm -hmm. awesome i'll link all those below Um, have an awesome day thank you so much Um, yeah i can't wait for people to listen to this so thank you so much yay thank you thanks for having me on and if you did enjoy listening to this episode make sure you use the hashtag train happy podcast tag train happy podcast and um yeah let us know what you think um goodbye everyone